Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tejos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm Valerie, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Smart Karma Insight Provider Hamindra Hazari, as he'll be sharing with us more about disclosures and governance in Indian banks. Before we start a bit of standard housekeeping, as always, please feel free to send in your questions for our insight provider throughout the webinar using the Q&A button on your Zoom app, and we will get to them during the Q&A section. Please do not reshare the contents of this webinar without expressed permission. A recording will be available afterwards on the registration page and will be sent to all attendees. And with that, thank you, Hamindra, for being with us today. Maybe you can give us a brief introduction of your background before we dive right into the topic for today. Thank you, Valerie and Smart Karma for hosting this webinar. So I have been in research covering the Indian stock markets and particularly the financial sector since around 1992. And I have worked with various foreign houses as well as domestic houses, all of them based in Bombay, India. And I have covered the financial sector, say for over 25 years. My niche area really is doing critical analysis of banks, of the large banks and the large companies in India and providing an alternative commentary to what the senior management would normally provide to the stock market. And I take a very critical view because I find that very often the stock market and minority shareholders are not getting that view or that analysis from the senior management. And naturally, this has made me quite unpopular with the senior executive management of the various banks that I cover, but that is par for the course. Now, coming to the topic today, which is disclosures and governance in Indian banks. I think it's a very important topic because corporate governance now has got a great deal of popularity and it is gaining traction, especially since large funds are dedicating you know, funds for corporate, you know, for ESG. And out of the ESG, it is the G, which is the most important. And when you cover the financial sector and in particular the banks, governance is extremely important. And invariably I find that all the tall claims that the directors and the CEOs make in their annual reports, when you actually look at the data and the disclosures, invariably I find that it is well short of the claims, or in some cases it totally contradicts their claims. So today what we are going to look at is from FY 2023 onwards, which is the financial year 31st March 2023, the capital markets regulator, SEBI in India, mandated 
various disclosures, which some banks were doing it voluntarily prior to this year. But because of this year, that we'll have it now as a mandatory disclosure. Now, it is a non-financial disclosure, but I think it is very pertinent in that it deals with a key stakeholder in banks, which are employees, and which has also not been analyzed by market participants, nor have shareholders looked at it with any great importance. Now, what exactly did the SEBI disclosures mandate? And you know, this is a time when still companies are releasing their annual reports, and all of them have still not yet reported their FY 2023 annual reports. But now we're getting a very detailed data on employees, which now they have to give disclosure of staff by gender, by age brackets, which will have less than 30 years, 30 to 50 years, and 50 years plus. And you have to report the attrition for the last three years. And also the, the percentage of participation of employees in trade unions and officer associations, and also the benefits like medical paternity leave to employees. So on account of these data that you're getting, the analysts and interested parties by analyzing this data, you get a very portrait of what exactly is happening to the employees. Now, if you can go to the, you will find that this is a concern of attrition I had been highlighting for the last two years from data with some banks like Access Bank, Yes Bank, HDFC Bank had voluntarily disclosed prior to FY 2023. And even looking at that data, particularly in Axis Bank and, and Yes Bank, I had highlighted two years ago that in the private sector banking in India, they are facing a huge issue of attrition. And the management is not really providing any explanation in their annual reports on why this attrition is happening. Now, all this finally came to the public's notice when in end May 2023, the then Deputy Governor M.K. Jain gave speeches to all the directors of banks over course of a few days, where he categorically stated that there is operational risk due to various factors such as high attrition, lack of succession planning, skilling of staff, outsourcing, etc., And attrition and high employee turnover leads to loss of institutional knowledge, disruption in services, and increased recruitment costs. Now, even when he gave this speech, the press carried parts of it, but no one really had understood the significance of it because when he gave the speech, a lot of the annual reports of banks had not yet been released for the March end. They've only started being released probably from May, from June onwards. Now, when we got this data, if you can go to the, you will find that the attrition in the private sector banking space was huge. And in a bank like Kotak Mahindra Bank, the attrition was 46%. 
Now, this is a huge amount of attrition to have in banking, which is staff intensive because of the various branches that the banks have. And what we also noticed was banks like Yes Bank, it was over 40%, and banks like even Access Bank, it was 34.8%, and a bank like HDFC Bank had 34.2%. Now, if you look at their permanent employees, you will find that the total size of permanent employees is very large in, the, in these banks. It, these are not small numbers. So it is not that the bank force is, you know, a very small force. And this, I would imagine, would be the case globally as well, that banking is staff intensive, even though it may be an early adoption of technology and digital operations. Therefore, when you see such kind of attrition, it definitely should send alarm bells ringing to all stakeholders and in particular shareholders. Another point you will observe from this graph is that while the private sector banks are reporting attrition of more than 30%, State Bank of India, which is India's largest bank, and employs about 230,000 people, the attrition was below 5% at 4.7. This is a huge disparity in attrition numbers. And therefore, you know, I don't think people have realized that there seems to be two different types of banks operating, although they all operate in the same space, because these are there's a very huge divergence in the attrition numbers reported by the private sector banks, while government banks and the premier government bank is State Bank of India, <clears throat> it reports such very low attrition numbers. Now, when you look at the age category of employees, you will find that a substantial amount of employees of the total workforce are in the less than 30 years category. Typically, they are about more than 40% of the workforce in the private sector banks is in the less than 30-year category. Now, if you see the attrition in this less than 30-year category, these are outrageously high attrition numbers. Again, Kotak Mahindra Bank, which never voluntarily disclosed attrition prior to FY 2023, reported an attrition in the less than 30 years at 58%. You know, HDFC Bank reported, I think around 44.3%. And Yes Bank reported 56%. Now, when close to, or you know, the minimum 40% of your entire labor force is less than 30 years, and if in that labor force, you have a minimum attrition of 40%, it is extremely disruptive for banking operations. Because what these banks do is they use this young labor force as salespeople, and they go out there to sell various financial products to their customers. And these may be third-party sales like insurance, but it still does not explain why this, at the entry level, the attrition should be so high. Because normally, 
you would expect at the entry level because sometimes youngsters may not be very clear about what kind of future they want. You know, you normally should not have 20 to 25% attrition should be the very maximum attrition that one can tolerate in this age bucket. But again, what we are seeing here, and this I think is consistently there for even earlier years, is that the attrition for the private sector banks in the less than 30 years is extremely high. Another factor you will find that you're getting data also for females. Now the females of the total workforce, it varies from say about 20% going all the way to about 35% for Kotak Mahindra Bank. But what one finds is that when you look at the female attrition is that this, it's sharply rising over the years. And in Kotak Mahindra Bank's case, it is close to 48%. Now the issue is, why is it that the women labor force in the private sector banks are exiting these banks? Why is it that they do not find the private sector banking to be very conducive for them for their long-term careers? And normally in any industry, in any economy, one always likes to see a higher women participation rate in the labor force. And therefore, when you see women attrition being higher in a bank than the overall attrition, that is the women attrition is higher than the male attrition, it should send some questions. Why is it that women are not comfortable at all in these workplaces? Or why is it that the workplace has not been made comfortable for women? Now, mind you, when you see such data, one would expect that the banks would provide, would first acknowledge this data. And after acknowledging the data in their annual reports, they would provide us an explanation of why it is happening. And after they have provided an explanation for why it is happening, they should suggest to shareholders what are the possible remedies that the banks are working on. But one thing I find when I looked at most of these annual reports is that nothing was mentioned about attrition. So even the first step of identifying the problem is not even acknowledged in these annual reports. See, with the exception of, of HDFC Bank, this sharp spike in attrition is not acknowledged. In contrast, what do you find in the annual reports? Let me give you an example of Kotak Mahindra Bank. Kotak Mahindra Bank says, quote, your bank adheres to the highest standards of corporate governance, which includes disclosures, transparency, accountability, and responsiveness. But there is no explanation in Kotak Mahindra Bank's FY 2023 annual report on why attrition is so high in the bank. Why is female attrition even higher in this bank? And mind you, this bank has a much higher female uh, composition of their labor force than the other private banks. 
And therefore, if they've not acknowledged the problem, it is obvious that they won't even suggest what are the remedial measures the bank is taking to reduce the attrition. Yet, they make these overarching statements that the bank adheres to the highest standards of corporate governance and disclosure. The bank announced its first quarter results you know, some days ago, and it's only when a question was posed to the management, mind you, they did not come out with this explanation at the beginning, but only when an analyst now poses the question, did the management provide some explanation? And mind you, this is Shanti Ekambaram, who's a woman executive now, was a woman executive director on the board. So she provides the explanation that, you know, the bulk of this attrition is at the lowest level. And this is a common explanation you will get when you ask senior executive management, which implies, though, that analysts and the market should only be concerned if attrition is at the higher echelons in the management. But since it is at the lower levels of management, one should not be so concerned. That is the inference that you have to read when they give this type of explanation. And they also said that, you know, it is an industry level problem. And because of this generation post COVID, they're a little unsure, they are jumping. Now this explanation that Shanti Ekambaram has given is a universal explanation that private sector banks will tell you when you ask them. But again, you will find that while the private sector banks had attrition exceeding 35%, the State Bank of India and all the other government banks were reporting extremely low attrition. In the State Bank's case, it was less than 5%. And mind you, State Bank of India also recruits from the same generation of youngsters that private sector banks recruit from. So it is not, in my view, a generation problem because there are two types of doing the same activity who are recruiting from the same generation. But in one case, they do not seem to stick, while in the other case, they are willing to stick to make long-term careers in government banks. Therefore, the explanation, in my opinion, that the senior executive management of private sector banks is giving, where it attributes the attrition to, as a particular characteristic of this generation, generation Z or Z, what they call it, to me, it does not sound credible you will see that the board of directors, as I had told you, did not acknowledge attrition in Kotak Mahindra Bank's case. Even in the director's report under the section on human resources, you will not even find the word, quote, attrition, unquote. It is not to be found in the employee section of the director's report. So one would assume that this board of Kotak Mahindra Bank has no expertise in human resources management. But when you look at their own disclosed expertise, which they give in the annual reports, you'll be astonished to find that out of the full board of 12 directors, six of them, including the chairman of the board and the joint managing director, which is like a joint CEO, 
six of them, that is half of the board, have themselves declared that they have an expertise in human resource management. Now, when a board, <clears throat> when 50% of the board gives a declaration that they have an expertise in human resource management, and that bank reports probably the highest attrition rate in the private sector banking space till date, and it does not even acknowledge it in the annual report. It does not provide an explanation, nor does it provide any remedial measure. What does it say about the competence of this board of directors? You see, here is a case where they are saying that they have the specialization expertise in human resource. Then the first question should come is, if we have such a high expertise in this subject, how is this bank reporting such high levels of attrition? So this is the central problem in a lot of these banks that again, they will make tall claims how, what the high standards of governance that they follow. But when you closely examine their own data, which they produce, you will be shocked to find that the kind of total divergence that you will find between the data that they present and the claims that they make in their annual report. The least that can be said <clears throat> about this particular board of directors is that this board of directors is incompetent because you cannot have 50% of the board having an expertise in human resource management and that bank reporting 40% attrition. It's total absurdity. You know, Kotak Mahindra Bank is probably the <clears throat> second or third largest private sector bank by market cap on the Indian stock market. And I, however, have been a major critic of this bank, as I have been of most banks. And you will find, again, they make claims that they follow the highest standards of corporate governance. But you'll find some very strange anomalies here. Uday Kotak, who is their current founder and chief executive officer. And he's been their CEO since they got the bank license, I think in 2003. And he will have to step down at the end of this year after close to 20 years of being the CEO. He has got the board's approval as well as the shareholders approval that after he steps down from the board, he will come back on the board as a non-executive, non-independent director. <clears throat> now this flies in the face of all corporate governance norms. When you have a founder <clears throat> who's also the CEO for so many years and the banking regulator has stipulated that a CEO should not come back on the board, that, you know, he can't, that, there has to be some kind of breathing space if he were to come back on the board. This particular decision, which has got shareholders' approval, defies the entire spirit of corporate governance. Because what it will entail is that he will become a backseat driver, which is something that the banking regulator and the stakeholders in any entity will not want at all because he will become a backseat driver without having any executive responsibilities. 
And that goes against all corporate governance norms in any company, especially a bank. Now, this is what is going to happen this year. Last year, he has a 32-year-old son who had about two years experience or three years experience in Kotak Mahindra Bank. And we were informed last year that Shanti Ekambram, who had mentioned earlier, he was working with her, had found him extremely suitable and promoted him as a joint business head at the tender age of 32 years. Now, in Indian banking, one finds it very difficult to find anybody who becomes a business head at that, kind, at that age because you require certain, however brilliant you may be, you require certain number of years to gain experience. Just by sheer coincidence, this youngest business head in Kotak Mahindra Bank happened to be the son of the founder. Again, such a proposal in any other entity would have you know, caused a lot of issues and the board would not have allowed such a thing to happen. But again, the board of Kotak Mahindra Bank did not find anything wrong that the son of the founder at 32 years of age with only two to three years experience in the bank, and his total experience was two to three years, <clears throat> should become a joint business head. Now, the third unusual aspect was that they had an executive director by the name of Gaurang Shah, and he was also on the board of a subsidiary which was into the asset management business of equity mutual funds. And there were a lot of irregularities was found in that subsidiary where he was a director. And when the capital market investigated that regulate, that entity, they found numerous violations and they penalized him. Now, when they did his penal, penalized him, he was a director on the bank. <clears throat> now, when his term came up for reappointment, in the explanatory note to shareholders, they never informed the shareholders that this gentleman was under investigation, which should have been done. So the shareholders should know when they are approving <clears throat> the reappointment, whether the regulator, any regulator is, is investigation that person. That's, in my opinion, a highly material information. When I questioned the bank of why they had not informed shareholders about this, they told me that they had sought legal opinion and that legal opinion said that this information that the regulator was investigating this gentleman was not material and therefore they didn't include him. So this is just a nutshell of the type of corporate governance that is actually in place in some of these very prominent private sector banks in India. Now we come to Axis Bank. In Axis Bank, mind you, had excellent disclosure, voluntary disclosure on employees and on attrition prior to FY 2023. On their own, they provided granular data, which was extremely commendable. However, in FY 2023, when this became a mandatory disclosure, 
And here again, their attrition, like a lot of the other private sector banks, it shot up. But there was no explanation given by the board. They didn't acknowledge it. No, no, nothing was given on the causes. And neither then was given on any of the remedial measures. Not only that, the granularity of data which they used to provide earlier was severely curtailed. So as a result, today we do not know what the attrition in the less to 30 years bucket is in Axis Bank, because this was the data which was given earlier, but they stopped giving because they, it was not a mandatory disclosure. Today in, F, in Axis Bank's FY 2023 data, you'll only get this, which is the mandatory disclosure. That is all you will get, which is just a percentage figure of the attrition. This was the data you would have got in FY22 and even earlier years. You could get data by buckets, by age buckets. You could get it by gender. You could get new hires data. You could get attrition even with new hires also, which provided a great insight into the state of employees in this bank. But lo and behold, when the data becomes inconvenient for you because it shows a deteriorating trend, the bank you know, withholds that data. And yet they claim to follow the highest standards of corporate governance and transparency. Another unusual thing what happens is what are the consequences of this attrition? In around May of this year, the RBI, the banking regulator, disclosed this report of customer complaints up to the year FY 2022. And what did we find? That Axis Bank, mind you, they're the third largest in terms of size in the private banking sector, but they reported the highest number of customer complaints. And the customer complaints shot up from the earlier year. Now, in my view, there is a correlation and probably causation also when you have high attrition on the labor force and increasing customer complaints. Because when you have a lot of high churn in employees and staff, it will invariably lead <clears throat> to poor customer service and therefore you will have a higher number of customer complaints. Now, in FY 2022, Axis Bank's annual report never told us this problem because this data was really not highlighted there at all. In fact, they were claiming that they want to be number one in customer satisfaction and customer service. They never told their stakeholders that while that was what they aspired to be, they are, the, they are scoring extremely poorly on customer service because they have the highest number of customer complaints in the private banking sector. So this was to be a very important data which we got from the RBI regulators publication that tells you what are the consequences of such high attrition in the labor force. You will find that while nothing was mentioned on attrition, what are the causes in both Kotak Mahindra Bank and Axis Bank? In HDFC Bank, the CEO, Mr. Shashidhar Jagdishan, was very upfront about it. He straight away admitted to shareholders that there is a problem. 
there is a problem with the work culture in the bank. And this was because a video went viral, which I will discuss later. And he indicates also that this cannot be remedied in the short term. He makes it very clear that this will be a problem which will persist for some time. But I think it was very important for him to have a very commendable of him also to have transparently said this in his CEO's message to shareholders. And I hope that other CEOs in Indian banks take this as an example and you know, follow suit that when there is an issue, they should be upfront to stakeholders and mention it. I mean, you know, you do not get perfection. I don't think stakeholders can expect perfection from any company. It is always understood in some, you know, there'll be some negatives, but it would be really appreciated when the CEO himself or herself, you know, admits to it and, you know, does not try to hide it like some of the other banks did. One of the things is why is there such high attrition in the private banking space? Now about the one or two months ago, a very abusive video of an HDFC bank manager, senior manager became public and it went viral on social media where this particular manager was just, he was having a sales conference call and he was the leader. And he was just non-stop berating his juniors on why they were not achieving those sales targets. Shouting, screaming, threatening to sack them all the time if they had not achieved the targets. Sometime after that, you had a Bajaj Financial Services manager. Bajaj Financial Services is not a bank. It's a, it's a non-bank finance company, which was even a more obnoxious video where abusive, the worst type of language was being used on his juniors. He even throws a piece of cutlery which smashes. I mean, it was so obnoxious that one does not think that anyone serving in the corporate world could behave like this. And a third instance was when a senior executive of an Axis Bank, when this happened about two years ago, he gives a town hall meeting where he openly encourages the staff to abuse one another, undermine each other to get business for the bank. Now, when you look at these videos, it not only tells you the obvious, which is that there is a very toxic work culture at the bottom of the pyramid or even at the mid-management level of the pyramid in the financial sector. That is very evident when you see the kind of language, the shouting, the kind of terrorizing of the lower staff that is very clearly visible in these videos. But it tells you something much deeper and that is where we have the issue today in the sector. It tells you that in these banks and if these people are a fair representative of what is going on, is that how have these leaders actually been selected? I mean, the very fact that someone had to videotape this, the discussion means that this was repetitive behavior. They would not have videotaped it surreptitiously 
if it was one-off behavior. So if this is so widely known within the bank, how is it that the HR people found such people fit to be promoted to become leaders, where very clearly the videos show they have zero motivational skills because they're just shouting and screaming. They're not providing any alternative methods how to achieve those targets. They are provided no communication skills of how to conduct themselves in a group meeting from the kind of abusive verbal abuse and even shocking language that they are using. So how is it that this that appears to be a lack of any training for future leadership positions at the mid-level in these banks? So it tells you that there is inadequate training of staff, very poor leadership, mentoring, and communication skills. And on top of which is the main culprit is that you have given the lowest sales for such unrealistic sales targets without giving them the kind of enablers like you know, databases, alternative channels, to give them or even additional human resources to achieve those sales targets. So the only tool you are kind of giving them is that you've got a target, somehow you have to reach it. If you don't, we'll keep shouting you, shouting at you, abusing you, and then firing you. Another interesting feature you will find here, if you look at the government banks and the private sector banks, is the complete absence of trade unionism and officer associations. At best, you'll get about 3% of the labor force of private, in a private sector bank will be unionized. In many cases, in these new private sector banks, there is zero, but there's no trade union at all. While in a bank like State Bank, you'd have 96 to 97% of their total staff are members of trade unions. And trade unions provide a mechanism, an institutional mechanism to prevent the abuse of lower staff by seniors. And also it helps in wage negotiation. And it gives feedback to the management of what is actually going on in the labor force. Now, when you do not have the institutional mechanism of staff unions, the only way that the lower staff can express their disgruntlement is by, re is by resigning. And that's exactly what you are seeing in the attrition data. And therefore, when you look at this attrition data, it is the role of an analyst to go deeper and to find out why this is happening, especially when the banks themselves are not coming up and being honest of what is happening and why this attrition level is so high. So by and large, these are the kind of reasons that I have found out. And I hope other analysts also will probe in and give some other alternative explanations. You will see that what are the implications of this high attrition? The implications are that there will be higher employee costs. Because if you recruit someone, there is a recruitment cost. You have to hire an agency to wet all these resumes because these are all entry-level resumes. right? Then you have to train the youngsters. Now, all that goes waste if these youngsters leave, because normally it takes about 15 months for these freshers to become productive for the banks. 
So again, when they leave, you have to go through the entire exercise again. There is man, there is huge middle management and senior management time has to be spent. So it has a monetary cost of training, retraining, recruitment. Then you have mis-selling because you're putting unrealistic sales targets on them. You will find that these individuals, they're they are forced to mis-sell, in particular, they're forced to mis-sell insurance products, which are, can be prohibitively expensive onto the bank's own customers. So that has an impact on you know, their the customer loyalty to the bank. If they find that the bank is exploiting them for mis-selling, so the customer service also suffers. There is a lack of continuity in branches because every time you go, you're being serviced by somebody else. And obviously, this is what even the RBI deputy governor recognized that you have an operational risk because this will come up in mis-selling. You know, it can come up in very poor customer service, customers leaving the bank, you know, may not be purely, you cannot quantify this. But these are the hidden problems that this attrition data, which is so high, is really hiding and which will surface at some later time. And I have to point out that when Wells Fargo, for many years, it was considered a model bank because they were able to sell so many number of products per customer. It's only much later we came to know that there was so much pressure that they were doing mis-selling all kinds of activities, which finally cost Wells Fargo a huge amount in terms of reputation and even business. Now, what are the solutions here? The solution is that the board and the CEO must lead by example. In a lot of banks, I find, particularly in Axis Bank, this kind of toxic behavior, it really emanates and is approved by the CEO. Because if the CEO sets a very strong example, the message goes down the line. And for the CEO to set a strong example, the senior executives who are doing such activity have to be penalized heavily and be sacked. Invariably, you find that only junior mid-level managers are sacked for indulging in these behaviors. But the guys on top of them who are extremely senior always get spared. So the lesson remains that the problem is really not solved in that bank because as long as the seniors will continue to do it and get away with it. So the banks must also set realistic sales targets for their workforce. They must curtail third-party sales. Now, mind you, banks may not want to do this themselves naturally, so the regulator has to step in and to see how things are going. And the regulator has to put punitive penalties for mis-selling. That will be, you know, make the banks reconsider. And I think, in my view, the employer unions should be mandatory in all these sector banks. And if you don't attend to this, it will keep festering. You may not get a, a immediate cost to the PNL, but it'll all fester one day and it'll come out in customer service complaints and in mis-selling. So this is what I have noticed. And as annual reports of all banks are not yet out, so with some of the banks which I have declared have taken this data and presented to you with my analysis of the same. All right, thank you so much for that, Hamindra. And to close this webinar, perhaps you can share some final words you want to leave our audience members with about today's topic. No, my final words to the audience is always question. Do not be seduced by these 
seductive commentary that the management puts out in their annual reports or when you engage with them. Always kick the tires and keep kicking the tires. Always go into their data to see what you can find and how you can interpret it. And then you can come up with your own conclusions. Now, people can look at the same data that I have looked at and come up with a very different analysis than I have. Than I have. You know, that's all par for the course, and that's what makes uh, it so interesting. But in a nutshell is don't imbibe whatever you hear, whatever you listen, whatever you read, always question, and then make your own conclusions. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Himendra, such wise words. And that is our webinar for today. Thank you to Himendra for your time and thank you to all attendees for being with us. If you wish to keep track of more insights related to the topic for today, I recommend following Himendra on Smart Karma so you never miss any of his insights. Please email us at research at smartkarma.com for any other questions or feedback. If not, do follow us on our social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter at Smart Karma. We share weekly ebooks on trending topics and themes, so you don't want to miss out on that. Thank you once again to Himindra, and goodbye, everybody. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode, and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.